Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And yes, your eyes, ears don't deceive you. It is a Saturday, <laughs> new Saturday episode because we are doing a Spoil Saturdays. It's been a minute since we've done one. It has been. It has been. We have so many ideas for them, but it's just... That's a slow row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we do have so many ideas for them. Uh, but as I hinted at in our recent classic about Scream 5 that we brought back, today we are talking about Scream 6, now in New York. Like wow. I say, uh, every horror movie franchise has to have the New York movie. They're usually pretty bad, but this is a pretty good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes there will be spoilers for that because it came out in 2023 uh, early 2023 I have a fun I saw it in theaters I took a picture next to a huge ghost face that's when Samantha sent me the creepy voicemail <laughs> yes and I have one of those cups uh, it has ghost face on it and then it has like a little ghost face figurine so every time you take a sip there it is <laughs> <laughs> I, as I mentioned, I had a really good time rewatching this. I thought I, I was nervous because, like I said, I have this thing where I get nervous about engaging with things I really like sometimes. <laughs> um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I had a really fun time rewatching this. I rewatched it twice for this. It's great. You can see our past episodes uh, on Scream Five. We did a whole episode on that one. Scream Queens, where it was kind of a <laughs> a Trojan horse for me to talk about Sydney Prescott. And then the recent episode we did with Bridget about Scream and technology, which is kind of what inspired this. Um, and then the episode I did with Lauren back when I was sort of co-hostless. Co-hostlessness? That's not right. I didn't have a co-host. Um, <laughs> Without a co-host. Without there a co-host. You, you, you could just say you were missing me. I was missing. Maybe I was I waiting for Samantha. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, why didn't you believe her? Where we did play a clip from Scream 2 that I love. So content warning, 
We are going to talk about violence and murder. Uh, these are slasher films, so that's what we're going to be discussing a bit. I did find it funny that Amazon lists this movie as erotic. <laughs> that was one of the, like, three genres it put it in. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you haven't listened to the one on Scream 5, look... I know I make everything about Star Wars, but the creators and even some of the actors were very clear that Scream 5 was about the fan backlash to The Last Jedi, and this one is a continuation of that movie, and I was re-watching it, and they mentioned the holiday specials, <laughs> there's a part where the killer from the last one, Richie, is on a screen, and he's just talking about, like, the stab movies, which are kind of the meta version of the screen movies within the screen movies. And he's like, well, I, I didn't see the holiday special. I heard how bad it was and all this stuff. And I was like, ah! <laughs> but it was a good ah. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I'm trying to keep a cool, cool head. Just trying. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about the plot. Scream 6 is a 2023 American slasher movie directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpen and Tyler Gillette, or Gillette, uh, written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. That picks up, yeah, where Scream 5 left off. I think it's a year later. It stars Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, a return from Hayden Pantier. Uh, as hinted at in the fifth one, uh, Courtney Cox with cameos by Samara Weaving and Anthony Revolori. But there was somebody else that you told me, you were like, oh, he's a boomer now. I can't believe it. Who was that, Samantha? Dermot Maroney. I was talking about the fact that, uh, which, by the way, I can't believe you didn't put him on the list. I know. He, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> he's one of the main people in here. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> So many things. I'm very confused. Um, but yeah, the, he was like a heartthrob, I guess, at my young age. So he played in many of uh, different movies as the main male lead. And he was the uh, like f like the first time I ever saw him was in um, Julia Roberts' uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, which is okay. huge. Uh, and he was very iconic in My Best Friend's Wedding. And so growing up, he was just that dude that you were like, oh, yeah, he's he's very, like, good-looking, but normal good-looking. He's kind mm -hmm. of what I would imagine what we call dad bod type of conversation where he's not a beyond handsome. He's not, like, Brad Pitt level of looks, but he's still endearing and he becomes the male lead because of that level. Mm -hmm. So to see him in this character was quite interesting. To see him as the father character, so the boomer older character, hurt my feelings. <laughs> Oh, There's no. been a lot that has hurt my feelings as of late. Uh, mm. Please, y'all missed this entire conversation we had with uh, as a staff meeting. So mm -hmm. uh, executive producer Maya was on and she was referring to a lot of the like, movies, specifically this and how it was when she was really young. And I was like, never, never. I'm just gonna <laughs> sit in the corner. There was a few <laughs> things that was said. That I was like, I think you're purposely trying to hurt my feelings. And I feel like in this movie, 
was similar to that. But to be fair, Moroni was uh, is like 60, I think. So it's not beyond the realm. Right. And I think my best friends, I guess Julia Roberts is around that age. But because when you're that young, those people are the standard of mm. who you want to be. Like that's who glamorous and sexy and like, oh my goodness, was. Mm-hmm. So to see him in this role was a real big flip. That's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because I, I always love when an actor gets cast kind of against type, and then you as the viewer is used to seeing that person, especially in, like, a whodunit type of way. Yeah. Uh, So you're, like, not suspecting them because you're used to them in, like, this other type of role. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I think he's recently become more of, like, the nice dad role. Oh, okay. Anyway, Uh like, the more and more I've seen him. But Mm -hmm. again, this was an interesting twist. It was. It was. We will talk about that. So this movie, uh, it did make a lot of money. It was very well received. They have, of course, already greenlit a sequel. And yeah, it begins one year after the previous film. And that in that movie, Richie Kirsch and Amber Freeman were the killers. And they terrorized and murdered people in the town of Woodsboro, which is where it all kind of started. And a lot of them take place. But they namely were after sisters Tara and Sam Carpenter. And yes, their last name is Carpenter. So the new ones, aka starting with five, are like I would say they're kind of like a their their own thing. Like they're restarting mm-hmm. without ignoring the old ones at all. But uh if the first one of this kind of like new reboot, new requel. The fifth one mirrors the first scream. This one mirrors the second scream. This is the college one. You go off to college because that's what happens. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tara goes off to college uh, and Sam and the whole crew follows her there. But every scream movie opens with kind of a random kill or it seems a random kill at the time and then later you find out it wasn't random. But okay, So it opens with associate professor Laura Crane, who specializes in horror and especially in slashers. And she's at a bar and she's waiting for her date, a date she met online. And he's late. He calls and lures her down a dark alley claiming he's lost and he's looking for her. And he murders her in a ghost face outfit. And, you know, me as a viewer watching this, I'm like, whoa, the killer already. <laughs> right. Immediately. Uh, Which, by the way, the woman that plays that character is the main evil character from The Babysitter. Yes. In the Netflix trilogy. She's also often confused with Margot Robbie. And she's in, uh, these creators also did a movie called Ready or Not. Oh yeah, ready or not, the wedding movie. There's yeah, that's two right. movies. She that, was in that. Yes, not the. There's two movies: the hide and seek and ready or not. Different, very different. <laughs> um, but yeah, she is in that. Anyway, yeah, he murders her. It's revealed the killer is a student of hers, and that he was planning on killing the survivors of the Woodsboro Legacy killings, as they're called, Sam and Tara specifically. Uh, however, he gets a call from another ghost face who pretty quickly kills him, um, exclaiming, who gives a f- about movies? <laughs> and so, not to be. Then he's, the beginning of it is very much like, don't blame the movies yeah. for death. And essentially yes. what y'all, you and uh, Bridget, Bridget kind of talk yeah. about. Mm-hmm. But it was immediately like, oh, this is, which they said very clearly, the creators of this, but like, this is a different killer. Because normally he's like, what's your favorite scary movie? Like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He was right out the gate, or she, or they, 
Like, who gives a f- about scary movies? Right. And there was a pretty graphic scene where he opens the fridge and his roommate, Greg, I think, was like cutting the pieces in the fridge. Yeah, who was we don't a, even like, meet Greg. A co-killer. <laughs> yeah, we don't even meet him. No, he's just in pieces. And I, I did think about this because we're hopefully going to bring Bridget back because we did have so much to say about Scream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was thinking about this that I think when I I said, like, phone calls really freak me out. I think there's a lot of reasons why I'm not alone in that. But I wonder if Scream is, has contributed in some way to a right. fear of phone the, that calls. That and the call? Yeah. Ooh. You know, that whole, like, they're inside your house, which is a yes. whole urban legend. Yes, that's true. That's true. I would love to talk about that. I, I did on my rewatch... Because you were recently talking about the trip you took to New York for your birthday, and you complained that like the restaurants didn't have the sign out front, and you couldn't find it. And the professor very, at the beginning <laughs> said the same thing. I was very much like, oh, I was, yeah, in New York City, the new posh Italian yes. restaurant that we went to that we loved and had amazing food was down an alley. <laughs> <laughs> Literally by an alley in like side streets where we had to go, where we passed many restaurants. There was no f-ing sign. Actually, there was a f-ing sign, except it was for a different name. I was like, that is not the name. And there was no mention <laughs> of the actual place that we reserved. Like, we right. went and reserved a table or at the uh, bar sitting next to the pasta station, as was recommended by TikTok. And like, <laughs> the name of the restaurant was not on there. It was a completely different name. And I had to be like, what the f- and on Google, it doesn't tell you that it's a different restaurant either. And I'm like, why did you do this? Why would you do this to us? Who who, who thinks this is a smart marketing? I mean, it was packed, so no one cared, I guess. But I was like, this is not smart. It was all ghost face. It was ghost face. If I hadn't been with my partner, one of us would have gotten murdered by ghost face. Now I yeah, see it. That's, you know, that's the, just... that's the lesson. That's that's the lesson. It did make me laugh, though, because I think maybe if you haven't been to New York or aren't familiar with that, you know, this opening scene, you'd be, as people love to do, and I understand it, but you're like, why would she do this? Why would she do that? I did Um, think that. But she does have that comment about the... The not, there not being a sign and all that stuff. And he kind of uses that to lure her out. He's like, right. oh, you can't find, there's no sign. Which is like, you stand in front of it and that's it. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Other lesson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stay with the peoples. Stay with the people, yep. All right, but yes, uh, Tara and Sam now live in New York, along with fellow survivors from the last movie, Mindy and Chad, who are related to Randy, who was the like movie guy who knew all the rules from the first three. Tara is attending the same university where the murdered professor taught, where the killer student went to. In fact, they had a run-in in the beginning and is chafing at the overprotectiveness of her sister, who moved to New York to keep an eye on Tara. Uh, Tara basically wants to have a, quote, regular college experience, and Sam is like, no, I'm going to tase this guy. <laughs> we are also introduced to roommate Quinn, Chad's roommate Ethan, Mindy's girlfriend, Annika, Quinn's father, Detective Bailey, this Dermot guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to punch you. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam's boyfriend from across the away of the apartments, Danny, and Sam's therapist, Dr. Christopher Stone, who she mostly talks about Tara with. Um, so these are your suspects. These are your victims. 
because of an online conspiracy theory that Sam masterminded all of the Woodsboro legacy murders, Sam is outcast and regarded with suspicion when she goes out. Um, Detective Bailey brings her in for questioning after her ID was found at the murder of the student, uh, along with the ghost face mask worn by Richie and Amber. However, as they're making their way to the police station, Sam gets a call from Richie's phone from Ghostface, and she and Tara are attacked at a bodega where Ghostface kills several people with a gun. This is notable. We're going to talk about this because Ghostface has never not used a knife, ever. That's what, yeah, it's odd. Yes. The killer leaves another mask at the scene, this one from the 2011 Wordsboro murders, which is Scream 4. Once they get to the station, we're introduced to Kirby Reed, who is the horror movie scholar from the fourth one, who was presumed dead from these 2011 killings, but now works with FBI. I know I made you watch it in the fifth one. If you, like, pause it at the right moment, on the side of the YouTube page, you can see Survivor Kirby talks about the horrors of this whole thing. So you, well, the fifth one was like, she's alive. But in the fourth one, I definitely thought she was dead, for sure. <laughs> so it ends like she does. she's dead. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Um, I actually can't wait to talk about that because it's got a real, like, douchebag, you didn't see how good I was earlier, now I'm going to kill you vibe. Huh. So, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. So, guess who else is there? Gail Weathers, reporter Gail Weathers, who despite her promise at the end of the fifth one, after Dewey Riley uh, was murdered, who is her on and off again love interest and her best friend, uh, wrote a book about the legacy killings, which infuriated Sam and Tara. This is one of the things Bridget and I joked about is I love about Gail Weathers. At the end of every movie, she's like, that's it. I'm done. Never again. In the beginning of the next movie, she's like, I did it again. And she gets punched. That's the kind of a running joke. Yeah, she gets punched. And uh, yeah, by the way, uh, Sam is the daughter of Killer Billy Loomis from the first movie. So she was writing a little bit about that. Gail informs them that in order to keep her family safe, Sydney... Uh, has gone into hiding. And we will talk about that more in the, the end. Sam's therapist is murdered by Ghostface, and the murderer steals her file while weaving the Ghostface mask from the Hollywood killings, Scream 3. This brings us to the laying out of the rules scene, which they have in every movie, where Mendy explains that they are <gasps> in a franchise. <laughs> um, and one of the big rules is anyone can die, and the franchise can go on. Luke Skywalker, R.I.P. Dewey Riley, R.I.P., but it's kind of funny because Scream 3 already made this point when it was like, you're in a trilogy. But anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> the survivors of the legacy killing sort of form a pact uh, to stick together and have a lighthearted moment where they tease Sam about her boyfriend, Danny, across the way. Uh, meanwhile, said boyfriend sees their roommate, Quinn, get attacked by Ghostface from his window, uh, tries to get their attention and then Ghostface attacks the rest of the group, eventually killing Annika and leaving behind a mask from the Windsor College killings, Scream 2, so it's counting down. Also, there's a very scary scene of crossing an alley via a ladder suspended horizontally between two windows. Mm-hmm. Freaky. Uh, that is very reminiscent of the scene in Scream 2 where they're stuck in the car, the police car, and they have to, like, crawl out the front over, over Ghostface. No. No. Uh, (laughs) Gail tries to make amends with the group by bringing them into her investigation. 
She takes them to a theater that she found that contains a shrine set up for Ghostface full of evidence now displayed as if it was like a movie prop museum. Like if you were to go to a, a Scream exhibit, it feels like that. The group splits up, very unsettled. Gail gets a call from Ghostface at her apartment. This is sort of when they're like trying to set a trap for Ghostface and then they realize they're going for Gail. And Ghostface kills Gail's boyfriend, mocks her previous boyfriend, Dewey, before stabbing her. And realizing the danger Gail is in, Sam and Tara arrive just in time to save her life. She is taken to the hospital. Uh, they decide to meet up with Kirby at the theater at her request in order to trap the killer. Uh, on the way there, they board a train filled with people dressed as Ghostface, because this takes place at Halloween. And different faces. You had Mike Myers in there. You had yes. all the different killers oh, in there. Oh, yeah. I wondered if they got permission for that. Oh, I. they must have. They must have, right? Like yeah. That must have cost some money, though. It was a creepy scene. And one of them stabs Mindy, who, like, missed... The first train was on a separate train. When they get to the theater, Sam is confronted with the hallucination of her father, Billy Loomis, which was a thing that happened a lot in the, the fifth one. Um, and he's basically like, if you want to save your sister, you need to embrace your inner murderer. Like, we really got to, we got to get a move on on this. Yes. <laughs> um, Sam then realizes that they are locked in the theater. All of a sudden, there are two ghost faces and they attack Chad both Kirby and Detective Bailey, whose first name is Wayne, um, shows up. They both show up. Their guns are drawn. Wayne claims that Kirby is the killer, that she never was sent here by the FBI, that she is obsessed and mentally disturbed after what happened to her. But then he shoots her and reveals he is a third ghost face, which is a first in the franchise. Three killers. They had to do it. They had to do it. And he's also the ghost face in charge because the other two are his children. Roommates Quinn, not dead, faked the whole thing, and Ethan. And they both, like, made sure they got to live with the people they wanted to kill, mm -hmm. uh, which is a trope, and we're going to talk about that. And also, guess what? They're Richie's family, and they want revenge. <laughs> surprise. Uh, surprise, surprise. A lot of surprises. At least it wasn't the mother. That's true. Uh, also, they we're going to talk about that, yes. To that end, uh, they were the ones online spreading conspiracies and disparaging Sam. They want to pin the blame on her for all of the killings, basically exonerating Richie. Sam and Tara fight back, and Tara kills Quinn, stabs Ethan, while Sam puts on the ghostface mask from the original Woodsboro killings, the one her father wore in the first scream, and calls Wayne using the vocoder to taunt him, which is something else that happens in the first scream. And then... Kills him. Ethan makes another attack, but Kirby kills him with the TV that killed Stu Mocker in the first one. Sam promises to let Tara be more independent. Tara promises to go to therapy. Uh, Mindy, Chad, and Kirby are taken to the hospital. Sam stares at her father's mask for a long moment before tossing it away and following Tara and Danny. Which, by the way, Danny has a whole thing where he's like, you shouldn't trust me. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's she says, like, I, I've had a good run with boyfriends. He's like, I get it. Which we are going to talk about too. But yeah, that's, that's the plot. Can I rant for a sec? Please. 
Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. That does bring us to the themes. One of the big ones in this is definitely like sisterhood and overprotectiveness. Or I guess you could argue legitimate protectiveness. <laughs> right. I don't think it's, none of this is overprotective, especially if they're being, like, online harassed. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a little different. It is. It is. And I think it's interesting that it totally makes sense that Tara's like, no, I want, I want to have this whole college experience. I want to be normal. But the fact is, they did go through this, and they are being harassed online. <laughs> and uh, Sam does have a real concern and trauma around that and keeping her safe and keeping her alive. So it's like, it, it, it makes sense. And then you do have the scene at the end where Sam's like holding Tara and she's about to fall and the killers are coming from all the sides and (laughs) Tara's like, let me go, let me go, I can do this. And uh, Sam lets her go and Tara did, to her credit, she killed that one person and then almost the other guy. I mean, it feels weird to be like, yeah, you killed them. But in a movie like this. (laughs) (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do like in the beginning... Because Tara is uh, drunk at a college party, a Halloween college party, and is like, I want to go with this guy. And I like that all of her friends are like, no, you really shouldn't. Annika's like, 
no, this guy's no good for you. And that's when uh, uh, Sam comes in and dazes him. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to tase you in the balls. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get it done. Yeah, but that it is a nice thread throughout that they are friends. They call themselves the core four, jokingly, and then kind of seriously. Uh, that they're a team. They talk about being like a found family and um, surviving and bonding through this like trauma and the Woodsboro legacy. I really appreciated the camaraderie between Mindy and Kirby, who are your like horror movies aficionados. They have like a whole scene where they're like quizzing each other. And I really like that scene. But it is true that I... I would never put myself on the same level as this, but I'm very protective of my brothers, but especially my younger brother, especially when I was younger. I've kind of like eased back, but it is hard when you're like the line between, am I doing too much? Like, (laughs) is this more for me and less for them? Like all of those things. So that made me think about, about that. There's certainly the theme of trauma in a lot of ways. A lot of ways, including the the sisters and their relationship, but also the ex-boyfriend, um, which is a plot in the second scream, uh, where Sydney has this ex-boyfriend to this boyfriend, but she keeps her boyfriend was the killer in the first one. So she just has a understandable concern. <laughs> That maybe it's the boyfriend in this one. And, and I feel like even Dewey says who he's a cop. Um and he's like, you know, look at the boyfriend. And she has that conversation. Sam has the, that conversation with her boyfriend in this one because her ex was the killer, one of the killers previously. And he do, he is just like, well, don't trust me until this is over. Let's figure this out. There's also the, we've talked about this a lot of times, but the whole aspect on like mental health and horror. So like, Having Sam go to a therapist, having the thing at the end where Tara agrees to go to a therapist, but also the killer like steals her file, Sam's file, because they know they can manipulate Sam that way, but also how people perceive Sam because it is seen as like, oh, something must be wrong with her. She's probably the killer. If she's, well, she's going mm-hmm. to therapy and this is what the therapist is saying. But then also on top of that, there's the whole thing with Kirby, which I'm glad they actually turned... Because at first I was like, oh, no. When they're like, she's crazy. She's the killer. She's obsessed and traumatized. I was like, oh. (laughs) But they kind of like weaponized it because they knew people would believe it. And then it turned out it wasn't true. And I'm glad that it turned out it wasn't true because we do see that trope all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that because that's what Scream does. That's what all these movies are about is like taking a trope and then being like, Let's flip that. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of times it would be her, but it wasn't, and I'm glad. And then just the kind of the... There's a through line throughout with Sydney and then now with Sam of this idea, like, you're going to crack. You're going to crack and then kill people. And they're both kind of consistently either gaslit or being told they're paranoid, even though I would again argue have reason to be a little paranoid. 
they have PTSD and they're just going to snap that, oh, all this trauma with your boyfriend, it means you can't function. So I, I feel like there's a constant thing with that of the dismissing of their trauma or using it to be like, oh, you're the killer. You're definitely like, I mean, a lot of our true crime shows like Snapped have titles like that in there. Like you're just going right. to one day snap. And that was a big theory because that's never been done so far is that one of the main characters that you're like on board with turns out to be the killer. But they do play with that in this one. Um, and in, in a couple of them. Uh, so you have like Sam becoming the killer, like wearing the mask, um, using the voice. Again, I know, but we talked about this in the fifth one where the whole Star Wars thing where Rey is a Palpatine metaphor, um, which at the end of the fifth one, <laughs> she's like, oh, you want a killer? <laughs> I'll give you a killer. Um, Sydney did the whole thing, but she didn't have, she wasn't the whole, her father wasn't a killer. Her her parents weren't killers. Um, but that kind of, the the final girl of the victim as the victim versus the, a final girl of the killer. So it's like Sydney is kind of the first where she doesn't have the, this family thing looming over her. And then you've got Sam, whose father was the original killer. And so that's, she's a kind of different final girl. It's really interesting dichotomy. Yeah, and then there's, there's something to say about sort of the the cycle of abuse here and the mask that her father wore when she puts that on. But again, she doesn't become the killer at the end. She looks at the mask and puts it away um, and chooses to go forth with her, her sister and her boyfriend. But it is sort of suggestive of that idea that it's only a matter of time before she becomes her father and or it's just like hanging over her. And as you said, the, the blame the family trope is in here. But notably, there is no mother. It is everyone... Presumably, <laughs> but the mother. But the mother. <laughs> yes, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it's also interesting to hear Sam describe killing Richie because I feel like most of the time that would have been painted, in, in these movies specifically, would have been painted as just self-defense because he was trying to kill her. He had killed a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But because of who her father is, it's seen as more like evidence like, she's also a killer. And that <laughs> that whole idea of, um, like, come to the dark side, become a serial killer to save your sister. Again, look, I can't help it. There's Star Wars everywhere. Um, <laughs> Another thing I thought was interesting was the fact that the opening scene, <laughs> when the professor is killed... The killer is kind of like, and you think you know horror. Like, and you think you came down this dark alley and you did this. And we briefly talked about that in the episode we did with Bridget. But it is interesting. As someone who does this, as someone who, like, I love to dissect horror. <laughs> but I think there is a whole thing to be said about, like, knowing the tropes. But not knowing you're in a horror movie, I guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, right. I just... I like that they commented on that, though, that they commented on kind of the 
how a lot of people are dissecting these horror movies and these movies lend themselves to that because they're so meta about horror movies. <laughs> also something that was on my mind that we didn't get to talk about when Bridget was on, but I would love to come back because we were sort of talking about like the media and how that maybe inspires killers or make people more violent. Uh, those conversations we've all heard. And Bridget was making the point, like, when these movies were coming out, news media, like, all-day news media was really becoming a thing. And they weren't, they didn't receive the same rating, like, Y7 or PG or whatever it would be, that media did. So that they were kind of escaping the system while blaming the system, but doing the thing. (laughs) And I do think that's interesting because so many of these movies have copycat killers. And we've talked about, well, we haven't talked about, but in our, like, media, in our society, we've talked about, like, there's a whole conversation of never saying a a mass shooter's name or, like, never because it'll inspire other people. And that's a bigger conversation than this. But I, I do think that's interesting that a lot of times it's not the movies, it's the people who are copycat killers that saw it on the news. And then how often so many of these killers and and throughout these movies are killing over things like killing over grays because it's kind of implied that the professor in the beginning was in part killed because the guy didn't get a good grade on something, (laughs) which is real sad and awful. But then he's mad at her because he's like, you didn't. You don't listen to your own. You don't know the tropes, or you're, either you're ignoring them uh, to come down this alleyway. Um, and he talks about how she feels like an animal and like meat, and then the real ghost face calls, and it's like, how does it feel <laughs> before he kills him? And then this whole idea that they have to finish Richie's film, the killers in this movie, but make it seem like he was not the killer and or was not to blame um of course gail we talked about her the complex nature of her and her relationship with her friends who are very much involved in a very like true crime type case and then her as someone who wants to make money off the true crime type case um she even has a quote it's all about true crime limited series these days which made me laugh (laughs) <laughs> she does use her book to fight off Ghostface, which I thought was funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And and Ghostface makes a comment of like, who do you think will make money off of your death? There's also controlling the narrative with, uh, especially with the detective who blames Sam for radicalizing his son and his death because his son, Richie, was very involved in the Stab movies, was not happy with the newest Stab movie, wanted to make a storyline in real life that they would make the next Stab movie off of. And he was on Reddit boards and all this stuff. So, not really her fault at all, but that's what the detective said. But that was one of the things throughout, is you're like, how are they getting this evidence? How are they getting this evidence? The, the, the ghost face mask. And he's a detective, and he had access to it, so he could kind of control that. The trope of the roommate, that is a huge horror movie trope. Oh, the roommate. Um, <laughs> always look out. Um, 
the whole idea of assassinating the character is a big topic in a lot of these where they did purposely go online, basically start a campaign to say, no, it was her. It was Sam all along. Like I said earlier, this was supposed to be, and was, it was, uh, like a, this one's different. The three murderers thing, completely new. I'm still perplexed at how he was going to explain his daughter was alive, the detective. <laughs> that thing. The the gun, I think, was supposed to be kind of a hint that it was a cop, but I don't know. Being not a fan of Ghostface, I think in the very first scene, you're supposed to be like, okay, this is not... Because a lot of times it does turn out to be somebody who in some way respects Ghostface, but it, this was not that. Kind of leaning into the trope of the good cop that he was like the good, the good guy and he was gonna... He really wanted to get to the bottom of this because what happened to his daughter... Then you get to see the evolution of the mask, all of the different masks and how they get more and more worn and torn and dirtied. Interesting. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So this brings us to kind of the elephant in the room. Sydney Prescott was not in it. And they did try to explain it as like, she's taking care of herself. She deserves a happy ending, which I've talked about. Like, I do feel that. I'm like, stay away, Sydney. You've been through enough. But the fact she's not in there, you're like, oh, wait, um, something's missing. But okay, yes. This was the first screen movie not to feature Nev Campbell, Sydney Prescott, and it was due to a pay dispute. And Campbell said the offer was insulting. Here is a quote from Newsweek. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. 
To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. I honestly don't believe that if I were a man and had done five installments of a huge blockbuster franchise over 25 years, that the number that I was offered would be the number that would be offered to a man. I'm not just done with the chapter. I care about these movies. If they were to come to me with an amount that felt in keeping with the value that I bring them, I would certainly consider it. So that being said, like I mentioned previously, there is discussion she'll be in the next one. It is not confirmed at all. There is discussion. And I did appreciate that a lot. Well, I won't say a lot. A couple, at least. I I didn't, like, go looking. But I saw a couple of high-profile cases of her co-stars supporting her. Matthew Lillard was very openly vocal about his support of her and her getting more money. Which is nice, because we know so often that is not the case (laughs) when things like this happen. So, I don't know. We'll see. Also, I wasn't convinced Gail was even going to come back. I thought she might die. And they kind of leave it open. I'm assuming she's going to come back unless they don't pay her enough. But they left it open that she could have died at the end. I was, I, I like looked it up afterwards. I was like, is Gail still alive? <laughs> oh, I thought they said she's fine. Then they don't they say she's at the hospital? She's recovering. They say she's recovering. But I was like, it could kill her. It could be like. I mean, sure. I don't think they will. That would be really silly. At the very least, they need to say she's in hiatus or hiding, like because they might want to bring her back because this seems to be a never-ending thing. Yes. (laughs) But isn't there a rumor that Matthew Lillard's going to be in there? There is a rumor he's going to be in there. I am so perplexed by it. I mean, he seemed dead as a doorknob. But (laughs) maybe... I mean, it it could be either he survived or it could be the thing like with Billy Loomis, though I feel like they can't pull that trick too many times. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't have too many, like... I mean, actually, you can if you keep doing the movie and focus on one at a time. That's so true. So the next one it ends up being the Matthew Lillard offspring, mm-hmm. and they're fighting because they're blaming Billy for killing him because he does kill him. That's, yeah. Sort of. Interesting. Yeah, that could be. Um, there you go. I just solved it. <laughs> Spoiler. I knew you were involved in the writing of that film. <laughs> That's true. Also, there is something that they're trying to do at the end of this one where they are also implying, because it, it's been mostly, oh, Sam could be a killer. Now it's like, oh, Tara could be a killer. Right. Well, Tara was like the one encouraging her to kill him. Like yeah. At first, she's like, I'm going to be human. I'm better than this. And you see the look on uh, Tara's face where it's like, yeah. And then it switches to what? What are you doing Yeah. to finish him, essentially? Yeah. So it's like, it's sort of a strange, because she's not, Directly related to Billy Loomis. I'm not even sure that matters that much. But she she's the one that's like, oh, leaning yeah. into it. There's, <laughs> there's this whole thing, and it's not just Scream, but like the old narrative that a psychopath or sociopath is uh, passed down mm-hmm. slash uh, hereditary. And it's still being used everywhere, except there's no proof yeah. at all. Anywhere <laughs> saying that that's the case. Mental health, sure, but that doesn't mean sociopathic serial killer. Like, that's a whole different conversation. We know that sociopaths can also be CEOs and politicians, oftentimes. Yeah. But, like, this narrative that just keeps perpetuating that it has been fairly debunked, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
keeps happening mm-hmm. and reinforced, which I find interesting because I've seen that in a lot of K-dramas as well. But I'm like, I'm very confused, especially when it's like they're adopted. But, oh, I know that my father was a serial killer. My biological father was a serial killer. So, so am I. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's not how that completely goes because environment. OK, whatever. <laughs> but. There's a lot of conversation in that in which we see Sam's character being that, which, by the way, every time they say Sam and Samantha, I'm just like, i always confused <laughs> uh-huh. uh, because my name is so rarely used as main characters. Mm. Like, So I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> but yeah, Taro just being sick and tired of it and wanting to kill. Like, I feel like she should come out as being mm. the vengeful killer. She's just tired of all men mm. and just takes them all out. I mean, she was giving off that vibe at the end. She was definitely giving off a vibe. (laughs) Like, it's my head. She's going to just go after Scream fans. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Where people, like, get so obsessed and they're on Reddit about how amazing he is and attacking the family. So she just kills everybody. Here, I just made two movies. Done. You did. You're welcome. Wow. (laughs) You could be rolling in the dough, Samantha. (laughs) I'm giving it up for free. Damn it. Like, I heard, like, Scream producers are listening to us. (laughs) (laughs) Oof, that would be such a, like, dark, heavy load to pull off the, like, Tara's been radicalized by Reddit and is now killing people, but, like... <laughs> Not because she's a fan, but because she's pissed yeah. off that they're perpetuating this and making her yeah. life miserable. And then the campaign would be like, oh, no. Because <laughs> Scream does have... They had what I think is a... I mean, it worked, but it could have gone very wrong where they had Ghostface actors dressed as Ghostface walking around New York Mm -hmm. at night and going up to like cameras. I told you it was just turning very dark that I had a defects case where one of the spouses were tormenting his other spouse, his spouse, by randomly placing the scream mask. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like we came to investigate and she was. She was not doing well anyway, so which was perfect layout for someone to, like, gaslight her, essentially. Mm-hmm. And she pointed to the back and was like, do you see this? And we turned back around, and it was the ghost face mask. And I was like, what is happening? She's like, he put it there last night. And we were like, what? And this was before, like, security cameras were so accessible. Right. Like, you can get them, but mm-hmm. it was expensive. Uh, it was for rich right. people. Mm-hmm. And she was going through a really ugly divorce. So I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, that's that's no good. That was my that was, era. And that was 2005, 2005, 2004. Oh, right around the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> nah, that was right around the third one. The fourth one was 2011, excuse me. I was going to say, I think it was still in the trilogy because the third one came out as big. The second one was eh. The third one was like, ooh. Mm. Oh, I love the second one. I know well, you do. I love them all. But... I I do think that that interesting thing about Ghostface, and we did talk about this in the fifth one, and I promise I'll wrap up, even though I did skip a whole section of Star Wars comparisons. <laughs> that's fine. Um, <laughs> She's happy with writing it out. I, I've done enough. I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> there is an interesting thing about Ghostface and that he, she, they, is not the same killer. It's not like Michael Myers somehow got resurrected, like every movie somehow. It is a different killer. Every time. Uh, Ooh, that could be an interesting... Oh, no. Um, (laughs) But it's a different killer every time. But they wear the mask, and it's like they are a ghost face. 
And they use that in a lot of the movies where they're at a movie premiere and everyone's wearing the ghost face mask. But one of them actually is ghost face and kills you in front of everyone. Like, I feel like the ghost face mask has this because it does that. When I see someone dressed as that, I am legitimately nervous. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Where were we recently? And you're like, oh, ghost face. Oh, there was a bunch of them at Dragon Con. There was a bunch of them. That's what it was. Yeah. It, but it was kind of funny because he was come up the escalator and I was like, <laughs> I've seen this, this before. Silly to see. <laughs> yeah. I'm going on down the stairs. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I have had a blast. I've had so much fun. Um, I do recommend this movie. If you're in any way interested in slashers and horror and dissecting horror, I recommend it. We might be doing more. We don't know. Oh, yeah. And the sag thing is uh, done. So, yay. Yes. Let's talk about more movies. Let's do it. We will we'll announce it one way or the other. Our Sex in the City happy hours are probably going to resume in the new year. Yes. But we might be doing some scream happy hours in the meantime. I think we should. I think we should. Well, of course I think we should, but yes. Well, listeners, if you have any thoughts about this, if you have any movies we should do for Spoiled Saturdays, if you have any, like, Thanksgiving movie recommendations, let us know, because we're trying to... Suss that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can email us at stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at stuff I never told you. You can find us on TeePublic. We have a store, uh, merchandise, and we have a book that you can get wherever you get your books. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, who just had a birthday. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Yes. Our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.